I don't get that from dad. <laughs> and, uh, but the thing is, whenever we, uh, when we uh, feel called to something, we have to act on it. You know, there, there was a thing that happened to one guy who was called to do something and he didn't act up on it. And then he got eaten by a fish and spit out. And I don't want to stink that bad. You know, I'd rather just stink bad enough that my wife can still stand me. But then, you know, not, not to have to sleep on the couch. But beginning as a dream around the 1930s and then it became implemented in the late 60s, there was an idea that was being put in place that became a game changer in the way basketball was played. It started out with a few trial runs and some college games, and then at the direction of Abe Saperstein, the American Basketball League became the first basketball league to institute the three-point line in 1961. About 10 years later, the NBA began using it, and now it's such a pivotal part of the game that you couldn't hardly imagine watching a game without it. I know maybe some of you played a game with whenever it was not there. But it has changed the way this game has been played. In April 15, 1947, a game-changing moment in baseball history was when Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in baseball when the Brooklyn Dodgers started him at first base. February 22, 1980, in Lake Placid, New York, the Soviet Union had won five of the last six Winter Olympic gold medals in the men's ice hockey. And up to this point, before playing the U.S., they were... 77 wins, one loss, and one tie. Team USA were the underdogs. After a long, hard-fought game, the USA men's hockey team won 4-3, and this victory became one of the most iconic moments of the games and in U.S. sports. And many of you might remember Al Michaels' words in the last seconds as he was counting down the U.S. men's team, was trying to keep the puck out of the other team's possession, and he yelled, Do you believe in miracles? Yes. This would be known as the miracle on ice. Tony Dungy, an NFL coach and Christian, changed his defensive game plan while coaching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, became known as the Tampa 2 defense. It was to keep the ball in the flats and for the short gains. If you watched the game last night, you know, Luck was throwing it a little too far for our safety, or our, our comfort. Luckily, they didn't score and they couldn't hit a field goal. But, um, but it, it was implemented right before they won the Super Bowl, and it became a staple in their defense and for many other teams. It was a game changer. Tim Tebow, in the college national championship game, wore John 316 on his eye block, our eye black. That became the most searched term on the Internet that day. After the 1994-95 MLB strike, there was an increase in home runs being hit. Balls were being hit further popularity of baseball began to rise again because a large population had begun to lose interest in it. This rapid interest growth was due to more athletes being introduced to performance-enhancing drugs. They had been around for quite some time. Even Hank Aaron had partaken in it once. He didn't like it. But they were more widely available now. Even though they were frowned upon and later banned, these performance-enhancing drugs became a game-changer in athletics. In October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed a copy of his 95 thesis to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church, question, questioning the Catholic Church. This was the start of a Protestant Reformation. Making game-changing decisions takes risk. 
It means it takes, takes risks. Having greater faith than plans, not knowing how the outcome will be, but you continue to stand there in position. Being a game changer is kicking off your Sunday slippers of comfort and complacency and putting on your running shoes. If you go through Hebrews 11, you will see the men and women listed in the hall of faith who were game changers, who took risks, that took faith and much great faith in God where he was guiding them. You know what comes after Hebrews 11.40? Hebrews 12.1. And Hebrews 12.1 says, therefore, whenever you see therefore in the Bible, you gotta ask, what's it there for? It says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, you guys didn't quite catch on that joke. You're making me feel like dad up here, man. But since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses coming out of a chapter right here, they're talking about all those men and women of faith. It says in the Amplified Bible, Hebrews eleven forty, because God had us in mind and had something better for us so that they, these men and women of authentic faith, would not be made perfect, that is completed in him apart from us. There is solidarity among believers. Not only are we one in the body of Christ with all those who are alive with us right now, but we are also one with those who have ever lived. It takes all of us to be perfect in him. Continue to say, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so clings so closely. and Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We have to run with endurance the same way those ran before us. We, we've, been, we've been taught, society and, and our culture has given us this idea that it is an individual sprint, that it's okay if you just run your leg of the race. You know, just, just focus on numero uno. Focus on yourself, me, myself, and I. Don't, just don't worry about anyone else. You do you, boo-boo. This is not an individual sprint because we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. There have been others that have gone before us in faith, and there are going to be others that follow us. In any relay race, it doesn't matter how fast an individual runs. How many of you ever ran track in here? I saw more older people raise their hand than younger. <laughs> the thing is, it's not how fast an individual runs, but how smooth the exchange is in the exchange zone. The baton has to be passed in 1.9 seconds and 20 meters to the next runner. A great example of this was in a 2000 Olympics. The women's relay four by 100, that's where four people try to make one lap around and they share each, each leg of the race. And the Americans on paper, were the fastest team. In the past 16 Olympics, America had won nine of them. They ended up with the bronze medal because they came into the second exchange, they got sloppy. Thinking we're the best, no one has beaten us in the past Olympics, they were still in the second exchange. The Bahamas and Jamaica came alongside and just took off because they couldn't catch up because they became sloppy in that exchange zone. They got bronze instead of gold, not because of a lack of skill, talent, or ability, 
but because they got sloppy. It's amazing how we get sloppy in our Christianity and we wonder why we don't finish the race that we should have, the way we should have. The exchange zone is the opportunity to accelerate and gain momentum. In our faith, there's always gonna be divine moments of exchange allowing us to accelerate and gain that momentum or decelerate and wonder why we didn't finish the race that we should have, the way we should have, as strong as we should have. We are coming into an exchange zone here. We are two weeks into the uh, new year. Many of us might have uh, already thrown our resolutions out the door, thrown our New Year's goals and, and uh, ideas that we had. We haven't even made it to February. Maybe some of you are waiting until February to throw yours out. The thing is, no one wants to repeat the year before. I could ask for a show of hands who wants to have the same exact year that you did last year. And I guarantee it, no one would want to raise their hand. Because if you do, that just means I'm going to become complacent. Yeah, I had a great business year. Yeah, I had good things happen. But what about all the mistakes? You going to make them again? You want to make those things again? That's being sloppy. But the thing is, we don't want to repeat it, but many of us do. Go to the 2004 Athens Olympic Games, and again, America was the fastest on paper. Marion Jones, I was just impressed as a kid when I was a little younger, a little older than a kid, I guess. I was a junior in high school. But I remember watching, she, she was like what I thought would be the fastest woman ever. But uh, Marion Jones came into the second exchange zone to give the baton over to Lauren Williams. However, she came in fatigued. She was tired. She came in slower than normal. And by the time they exchanged the baton in that 1.9 seconds, 20 meters, they were actually out of the exchange zone and they were disqualified. If you don't hand over what needs to be handed over in that 1.9 seconds, the 20 meters that we are supposed to, we can miss that divine moment to accelerate and gain momentum. We can miss that divine moment not giving when we're supposed to, not, not loving when we should have, not forgiving when we should have, not giving mercy when we should have. We missed that opportunity. How many opportunities can you recall in the past year that you might have missed because of that? Go to the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. I'm telling you, America was, was the fastest team for all these years. Again, coming into the third exchange, they fumbled the baton and dropped it. Both men and women dropped the baton that year. And you know how many dropped batons there have been in the history of the church over the last 2,000 years? Over the last however many years this church has been established, how many dropped batons that the, 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 this place that God had anointed saying you can usher in the greatest revival that has ever been seen in this area. But somewhere in the exchange zone, the baton was dropped. Maybe that's what brought you to your hurt, habit, or hang-up. Maybe we as a church, a body of believers gathering together, maybe we were the cause of someone's hurt, habit, or hang-up by dropping that baton. Have we ever stopped to look to see where we dropped it? Because if you continue to run without that baton, 
You are no running. You are no longer running a relay race. You're just running for you. Four years later, the 2012 Olympics in London. This team, however, was no faster than the teams before. On paper, that is. On the first leg of the final, Tiana, Tiana Madison was able to hold her own against the double 100-meter gold medalist Shelly Ann Fraser-Price. Allison Felix put the USA into the lead, extended by Bianca Knight around the turn at the final handoff to Carmelita Jeter. The team enjoyed a three-meter lead. Each exchange was performed so seamless that the Jamaicans couldn't even catch up at the end. They won gold because of the seamless exchange in the exchange zone. The handoff from Knight to Jeter looks so seamless. If you YouTube it, you can look at it. It just seems like they were in stride as she reached her hand back. The baton came into her hand, and she just kept going. There was no slowing down. There was nothing that hindered or distracted them. It was smooth. It was as perfect as you could get it. And she just took off. And as Jeter approached the finish line, she noticed the time on the clock. And you can see her in the video pointing to the clock before she even crosses. They set a new world record. So what's, what's the point of all this athletic lessons on this snowy Sunday morning? You know, the thing is that, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great of a cloud of witness, let us also. It is us that we carry that baton of faith that is in our hands right now to our generation, to the next generation, that we don't drop it, that we don't get sloppy with it, that we don't hand off too late. Some of us might have those, those regrets in life that I wish I would have said that one last thing to, to him or her before they left, before they, they, they went and did their own thing. Before they left home, before they left our family, before they left this world, I wish I could have just said that one last thing to them, but I handed it off too late. We gotta understand that the baton of faith is in our hands for our generation to our generation so that it can be handed off to the next generation. My prayer is that each one of us understands the gifts and talents that God has given us, that we understand how much we are worth to God and his love for us to keep running. We have so many issues on this world today. It doesn't help if you're watching any of the news either. There's so much chaos, so many crises. There's, there's, there's disunity everywhere. There's injustice, there's pain, there's heartache, there's suffering, and it's easy to get overwhelmed by it all. However, the issues are not political problems. The issues and problems are not, they're not political problems. They're not, they're not necessarily moral problems. They're not education, educational issues or, or society issues. It's a faith issue. We have too many unbelieving believers. We need believers to say, I will carry the baton of faith for my generation. I will carry the good news of the gospel. I will be the light in the midst of a darkness. I will carry this baton of faith for my family, for my work, for my community. 
I won't just sit around and wait because God has said, tag, you're it. Stop, just stop waiting and saying, God, when do you want me to go? He's like, I already told you to go. I told you to be running. I've seen more people who have grown up in church leave the church as they get older. Have you ever asked why did they leave? You're trying to find their reasons for leaving. Have you ever thought what were your reasons of trying to keep them to stay? Trying to keep them exercising that faith muscle that we need to daily? You might be saying, well, they just didn't have enough faith in in God. They just were, and, and you're mumbling and grumbling about all these other excuses. Maybe we didn't as a church, as a body of believers, surround them as a cloud of witnesses. What impact does that put on their kids and the generations to follow? What are we waiting for? He said, let us also. The enemy wants to distract us. Prowls around like a lion seeking to kill, still and destroy, still kill and destroy. So how do, what, what helps us carry this baton of faith? We can find that. By coming to church, every time we come and, and surround ourselves by, with a body of believers, every time we fall to our knees and we pray, this helps carry that baton of faith. Whenever we open God's word and, and, and listen to what he's saying to us, whenever we sow into our work in the church, into our community for the glory to God that he will receive. But what if we don't? What if we don't carry this faith? If you look at Judges verses 7 through 10. This, is, this tells us why it's so important to carry the baton of faith. It says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had, Lord had done for Israel. Remember, they, they wandered. They were, they were in slavery. They saw the Red Sea open. They saw all these things that God had done for them. Manna falling. You know, what is this stuff? They, they don't have to go to the grocery store. God fed them right there. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance at timnath Haris and the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Everybody else had died. This is one of the saddest verses, parts in the Bible. And there arose another generation after them, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. We just can't get comfy and complacent because it's not just about us. We can't just worry about, well, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. It's not about that you, it's not just about that you, you have your, your, your spot, your seat here in this building. I have seen some people starting to have to change around because maybe you didn't get here on time and you got to get to a different seat. But one thing I'd like to challenge you this year is find somewhere to sit completely different. Boy, it will feel weird. It'll just feel out of the complete norm. Sometime this year, just try it once. Just try and see what happens because not only will it affect you and where you sit and how you feel like, boy, this seat doesn't have the same, the same indentions that, that my other seat did. But the thing is everybody else is going to notice like, whoa, 
Where are they at? They're over. Why are they over there? And then they'll start talking. And then, but let your worship, let your actions and, and, and your, your relationship with Christ influence them that it doesn't have to be in the same. See, because sometimes we get in such a routine. The one thing my, my grandpa said to me whenever I was playing sports was, he goes, you play how you practice. And this was right before a game, and I remember I was, I was out on the floor, and I was just shooting, and he, 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 this was when he was still living in West Plains. He drove up. I, I think he missed maybe one game my, my uh, senior year. He tried to make it to every game that he could, and he uh, came walking in, and, I mean, you can't help but notice when my grandpa comes in. <laughs> I mean, he just, it's that, all that white hair, and, and he, he's, he's going to make sure you know he's there, too. But... He came in, and I think I was just kind of joking around, goofing off. He goes, you going to take that shot in the game? It's like, no, sir. It's like, you're going to play how you practice. You're going to praise how you practice. You come here, and we just go through the motions. We, we get in the car. And that first person that you run into on the road, you're already having not church thoughts because they're not going quite the speed limit. Or maybe you have kids and they just don't want to get dressed. I'm just starting to learn that. Some of us young, young parents. That makes it even more interesting when we get to church and we need to praise God as a body of believers. But we're over there sitting like I'm still, still mad that they made me spill my coffee. So maybe there's something that we, we, we're doing that is just in our comfort and, and, and that exchange zone is not a comfort zone. You know, it's, how did, how did Israel go from Joshua not, from Joshua to, to not going, knowing God? Joshua was one of two people that experienced the slavery in Egypt. He went from seeing the plagues happen to crossing the Red Sea on dry ground to wandering around with a bunch of mumblers, grumblers, and complainers in the desert for 40 years, and he still led them. He was the one that led them across the Jordan into the promised land. He saw the walls of Jericho fall. He went from slavery to possession. He went from slavery to promise. Yet another generation arose that did not know the Lord. Somewhere along the line, they dropped the baton. And we can't just blame it all on Joshua. He wasn't the only one carrying that baton. The thing that I like it says, in that generation were also gathered to their fathers. That generation had died. Not just Joshua, but that jo generation of Joshua had, had died and somewhere along the line, they got too comfortable in the promised land. They got so comfortable eating the fruit of their own labors, they forgot that they were part of an eternal relay. We are only one generation away from that. 
We are sowing our seed today. Why, why are you sowing your seed today? What are you sowing your seed in today? Why are we part of this gathering today? Why did you get out and you saw a little bit of snow on the ground and said, I think I can still make it to church. You know, the thing is, some of us are like, oh, man, there's snow. And then I call Addie. She was staying with Mimi. I said, Addie, go look outside. The excitement. There's snow. There's snow, Daddy. But she still wants to come to church. And that's what I want to instill in my kids is that. It's church day. She gets so excited for Miss Jamie's class. She is so excited. Hinton gets so upset because he can't go in there yet. How many of us can say we even have a fraction of that excitement that our kids have when they come here? We see what we're doing. We see the work that, that this church and, and you, you parents and adults and, and Pastor Seth is doing for our kids. And on Wednesday nights, we have an excitement here. But we got mumbler, grumblers, and complainers wandering around this building at times, dropping the baton. The thing is, I've dropped it. I've dropped it before, and I've hurt people because of it. But from now on, it's not on my watch. From now on, I'm not dropping the baton of faith. I'm, I'm going to carry it for the generations to follow. If we don't help others see that there's a faith muscle that needs to be exercised, they aren't going to know that there is a God to believe in. How do we do that? So here's three quick things I want to show you through that scripture that we just read that we can do. Is first, lay aside the weights and sins. And Hebrews 12 there says, lay aside the weights and sins. We, 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 throw bat, we, we throw batons away and we just drop them. We, we, we throw those away that we once held on to as so sacred. And then we throw it away like we never even thought about it. Going to church, you used to come knowing you needed it for your lifeline, but then it's, it snowed outside. The kids are cranky. I'm cranky. Yeah, I don't have to go, do I? I'm not in the mood. And I'm not sure if my DVR will record it on the right time. So I need to make sure, I need to sit there and make sure this game gets recorded on the right time. Staying morally pure because it's in the scripture and because it's part of the, the, the path to righteousness, but no one else does it now. Being in the word, does it really matter? I don't have much time for that. We go from faith to faith, strength to strength, glory to glory, but what happens in the exchange zone determines whether that happens to us or not. If we come in strong as a church into the exchange zone, the church that follows us will be strong. If we come in sloppy, what do you expect? We have to drop the weights and sins. There's two different words. He doesn't say weights which are sins. It's weights and sins. These weights could be something that were good for a season, but maybe now they're not. Maybe they were people that helped catapult you into your faith, but now they're holding you back because you're only staying here because you're starting to see them say, ah, this is just okay enough. Whatever that commercial is, okay is not okay enough. Okay enough is not okay Geico or one of those things. I can't remember State Farm. Good enough isn't good enough. It's my, my uncle's slogan on his business t-shirt. 
good enough for it's for. Who is this for? Who are you doing this for? Maybe you have to drop those relationships so you can continue to gain acceleration and momentum. Maybe it's a level of serving. You've always served at this. And, and one of the things I challenged our people at Celebrate Recovery is maybe you've been coming for years. We've had pe- we, we have people that have been coming for years. We, we we're going into year three that it's been here at this church now. It doesn't seem like that, but it is. And what are you doing? Why are you still just coming and sitting? Why are you not up serving? I'm only doing enough. Enough to get by? Is that good enough? Maybe it's time to serve on a higher level. Maybe it's the level of giving. I've only been able to afford this much to give each month. But what does God say about testing him? What if you start giving a little more? Because you know that's going to have to make you put more faith in God. And watch what he does with it in his kingdom. What once was okay has now become a weight. It's become an anchor. You know, and, and watching watching these NFL players, and, and this is big time season right now. It's postseason. And, you know, we, we see these guys. I mean, they're squatting hundreds, 600, 700, 800, 900 pounds. I mean, just... Their, their, their legs are about the size of me, some of them. And when they're running, when they're practicing, when they're training, they have those weights that they're pulling, that they're trying to trudge through with it, pulling behind them. What if they were going to play the game with that on? Yesterday would have been a lot different outcome. We got to drop those weights so we can run this race. We got to drop some stuff. Maybe it's some habits. Maybe it's some attitudes that we have that we're bringing into this building. What if maybe maybe it's unforgiveness? Maybe it's unaddressed addictions that you're not letting anybody know because if they do, they might think, "Oh man." We got to drop the sins, and and we don't like that word very much in in society now, or in in this culture, because it's offensive. Everyone wants to get offensive about everything. We want we want to have a feeling of entitlement, of offense, because you said something that I don't agree with, that I don't want to deal with, because, yeah, it makes me feel bad, but I'm just going to try to leave it over there and out of sight, out of mind. But we have a warped view of it. So say, I left my coffee over there. So say, say I have my coffee, and it's in a coffee cup, and it says coffee. Yet, the chocolate syrup that I put in, say that was some really good poison I squirted in there. And then I give you that coffee cup. No longer is that poison in the bottle that says poison, but now it is in the coffee cup that says coffee. And the thing is, the milder you make the label, the more potent the poison becomes because you take it without knowing. We get, to, we, we get afraid to say, hey, there is sin in your life, but we don't want to offend them. We just talked a little bit about accountability in, in our Sunday school class, just real quick. And, and uh, we, we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. And, and I use Pam Tuesday night as this example because she had a, a scare with cancer. And, and what, if, what if that doctor said, oh, that looks like cancer, but let's not tell her that. Let's, let's, just, let's just say it's a flu. Let's give her, we, we know we got the right treatments that we could do for this, but let's, let's just say, let's give her a Tylenol and say, it's just the flu. Pat her on the back, give her a sticker and a lollipop and say, you're going to be okay. And then we're not dealing with it the right way. We, we would consider that malpractice. 
medical malpractice. And we would try to get them for as much money as they might have. But the thing is, why would people expect us Christians to commit spiritual malpractice? There's an issue we need to lay aside, and it's called sin, and we have a cure for that, and it's called the blood of Jesus Christ. So what do we need to drop to move unhindered this year? Who do you need to drop? What anchor do you need to let off, unstrap yourself from it, and move to a higher level? We got to run the race set before us. There is a race before you now. There is no there, because when you get there, you are now here, like on the mall sign. There is no win. It is time to run it now. There is a race before you now. If you had a plate of food in front of you, especially whenever you're hungry, there is no waiting for someone to hurry up and get over here and say grace because I want to eat. I'm hungry. There's now. It's before me now. Enjoy and get into that race. We have to understand it's what you do here now that determines the there and the then. Run the race set before you now. The issue that we're not running the race that's before us is because we're too busy scrolling through everybody else's race. If you stop scrolling through everybody else's race and run your race, you will finish your course. And the last thing is fixing your eyes on Jesus. It is time to look up now. The thing is, carrying this baton of faith means taking foolish risks of faith. It means carrying this radical baton in this race. Hebrews 11, like I said, talks about the hall of faith. You know, we are part of that spiritual relay. We are part of that same body that Sarah, having a baby at 90. Some of you ladies who are nowhere even close to that just can't even imagine having a baby at this point. Abraham, sacrificing Isaac knowing what God has told him to do to go up on that mountain with his teenage son. Let's get that part right. You know, I remember as a kid, I always thought it was just a little boy. No, this was a grown, almost a grown man that he was taking up to put him on an altar to sacrifice him because God had said for him to do it, yet he did it in faith knowing God was going to provide because he says that. Dad, where's the sacrifice? God's got it. God's gonna provide it. Noah building an ark. At that time, no one had ever built an ark. No one ever built the boat because no one had ever seen rain. Noah's buddies coming up saying, dude, what you building? Building an ark. What's that? I don't know. It's whatever this blueprint says. Why? Because it's going to rain. What's rain? I don't know. But God said it's going to rain. When? I don't know. So why are you building it? Because God said so. Why are you building it? I don't know because I need to. And it took faith. And the thing is, it didn't take him just a few months to build this. This took him many years to build this. And how many questions do you think he got asked? People were curious. People were seeking, but at the same time, criticizing. And sometimes whenever we're doing something in our faith and they start criticizing us about it, we begin to back down. What if Noah did that? That ark would not have been built. Nobody would have made that boat for the flood. 
Moses with the whole Israelites behind him, walking out of Egypt, comes to the Red Sea. That's a lot of water, Moses. Yeah. What are you going to do? I don't know. I'm going to go. I'm, I'm, I'm going to. I don't got a boat. I'm going to pray to God. I got a stick. Maybe sometimes that's all you need is what you have right in your hand. You're not supposed to be waiting for that next thing to come, waiting for that next job promotion, waiting for that next season in your life to finally start serving and giving. Maybe it's what do you got right now in your hand? The Israelites marching around Jericho, quiet as a mouse, seven days straight. Didn't have to lift a finger to watch those walls fall. Maybe it was David with five stones going in front of a nine-foot giant. 26 years ago, Ken Mudge decided this was the road to, to, to sobriety. And he started Celebrate Recovery when he was in Washington. He brought it here, and he continued that faith because there was at one point when they were out at another church, he was the only one showing up. And he did that. He kept going every week, showing up when no one was going to show up because he did it out of faith because now look what we've done. We, we, have had, we have not had less than 35 each week for this past two years. We have not seen a decline in help and volunteer. We have people stepping up. We have people growing. We have had people fall. We have lost some to overdose. And let, let, let me, and Ken's not right here right now because last Tuesday, he called me while he was on the way to the hospital in the ambulance because he had fallen off his roof and shattered his hip. And he's doing better now. He's recovering. But just a few weeks ago, he had, he had announced, you know, he hit retirement. He's 62. He's ready to enjoy life with his wife and not have to work like he has to. And uh, now he really has to re take this time off as he recovers. But he had uh, finally stepped down from leadership role in Celebrate Recovery. He just felt it was time to. And over the past year, I remember coming to him. I was driving out. I was getting ready to pass V Highway. And I remember looking at Ashley after we just moved back Hartville. I said, I, I feel led to be a part of a church plant. But we, there, there's so many churches here in Hartville. We can't add another one. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Right after that was whenever I was asked to start helping with music at, at Celebrate Recovery. And a year goes by, and I told Ken, I was like, I, I felt God really calling. He goes, I know. He goes, God called, God told me. He goes, whenever I'm done, I'm handing this over to you. And in that time, it didn't happen immediately. It happened that time. We were in the exchange zone as he mentored me, as he, as he taught me, as I, as I learned, and as I grew in that exchange of the baton of faith. Look at my dad. 29 years in the same church, and it's growing. It has grown. We went from the building that's trying to be torn down now to something that we could all fit in. You hear the stories of him witnessing to people, reaching out to people that many of us don't want to talk to, don't even want to share the road with. He's reaching out. We, where's that faith in our life? 
Where's this radical faith? The, the, the faith that he had to still bail me out of jail. Because his faith was not in me and what I was going to continue to do and where I was going to fall again. But his faith was in God and what God was going to do in me. If we don't maintain that radical faith, we will seem foolish to Jesus. When we maintain that radical faith, we seem foolish. But that's not what matters to us. So as we get ready to come into to ministry time here, we usually do chips at the uh, end of our service. We did chips last week, and, and these chips are just a milestone of, of what, what accomplishments we're doing. It's just something physical that we can hold on to. It's nothing magical about it, but the thing is, We've had two Tuesdays in the past year, so that's 52 weeks, and we had only two, so 52 Tuesdays, and two of them, we didn't hand out a chip. So that means throughout the other 50 Tuesdays of last year, someone was overcoming a milestone. Someone was looking to take a step towards an overcoming a, a hurt habit or hang-up. We do a commitment chip. And it's coming up and saying publicly, I'm going to, I got something I need to work on. Maybe there's something that you need to work on in your life. Maybe, maybe it's something that you want to say, I need to make a commitment. It's a new year. Too many of us want to wait till the next year to start something new because it just works better. You start working out. Well, you're going to wait till Monday to start working out because it's just odd to start working out on a Thursday. So you, you wait. Stop waiting. You're in the race right now, but you're just standing. Maybe it's time to tie your shoes and, and, and get, get to running. I'm out of shape. Well, that's fine. You're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. You're not in this alone. The distractions and the deception that Satan tries to tell you that no one's going to understand you. If someone stood up and told about a hurt, habit, or hang-up that they had in their life, there is someone in here that has dealt with it before, that might be going through it right now, that might have overcome that. You're not alone. That Celebrate Recovery, that's what we're, we're teaching people. We got people that are coming, that come here on Tuesday nights because they won't come to a church on Sunday because that's where the hurt happens. And I don't want to make this feel like I'm trying to bash the church because we're, we're a body of believers. You have been involved in this as much as me, even though you might not have stepped a foot in here on a Tuesday night through your prayers, through you coming here on Sundays, joining, and you're seeing people come, you're seeing new people come into this church, and you're seeing them grow, seeing them baptize, seeing them commit themselves to Christ. What baton of faith are you holding right now? Who is it going to be passed to? We are one generation away. So as we uh, get ready to end this service, we, we are going to have some food and, and things afterwards. But I'd, I'd like to ask you all to stand up, stand with us here as, as, we, uh, as we just take some time. I'd like to everybody uh, to, to close their eyes, bow your heads, and, and just nobody looking around. Too often we're concerned with who's looking at us or what are they doing. 
you're in your leg of the race, but it's not just about you, but you know you have a responsibility in this race right now. So uh, I want you to look at, look at yourself. Look, look at where God's calling you to go. Look at what is before you. Maybe there's someone in here that, maybe there's someone in here that has a hurt habit or hang up that they want to, they want to let go of because it's holding them back from that momentum and that acceleration into their faith. If you do, no one looking around, I'd like you to raise your hand. Just, just take that step of saying, I, I have a, I have something that I'm holding on to that I want to let go, that I want to just release to you, God, that I want to, to say, I'm done holding this. I'm done carrying this. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to run. I see the hands. I, I, maybe it's someone that knows you've been in that complacent, comfortable zone. That zone is so far away from the exchange zone that we're about to drop that baton. You have someone in your life. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your household. Maybe you want to continue carrying that baton of faith so you can get into that exchange zone and, and you don't want to wait too long. What we want to see is us as a body of believers running this race together with those who have gone before us so we can create the generation after us to, to understand the faith that they need to have to run the race too because they're in the race. Your kids, your grandkids are in a race. You see all the stuff on the news. You see all the things that are going on. Are you, I want my kids to finish the race strong, but I have to go into that exchange zone strong, and I can't do it alone. We do this together. God, I thank you for this uh, this time that I, Lord, uh, to share share a word that you've put on my heart, Lord, but to to Lord to, to to stay in this race, Lord to understand to find the endurance, to Lord to to, to tell all the, the the distractions, the hurts, the feelings, the depression, the anxiety, the, the the struggles, Lord, that I can say, Lord, in Jesus' name, Lord, and they tremble. Lord, that I do this as I'm surrounded by a cloud of witnesses of, of men and women here in this building. Lord, of men and women who have gone before me. Lord, of, of I look at my grandpa. I look at my grandma. I'm carrying this race. Lord, I look at the ones we've lost who are running this race till the very last breath, Lord, and I. I want to continue that. I want to run this race with endurance, and it's not a sprint, Lord, I know. Lord, it takes time, but Lord, I, I just, I ask that you help us as a body of believers here at this church to, to drop the weights, drop the sins, and begin to accelerate, to gain momentum, Lord, to make a, an impact in this community. Lord, we're, we're in our mission field right now. 
you've called us here. You've placed us here. You've plucked us out of eternity to put us here at this time to serve you. And God, I, I ask for your strength. I ask for your, your wisdom. Lord, because all my faith is in you to do this. And I thank you. I thank you. Lord, as we are about to be dismissed, Lord, I, I, I thank you for those who have helped prepare the food that we're about to partake back there. And Lord, I ask that uh, anyone here feels welcome to stay. Lord, as, 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 we, as, we, as we do this together, Lord, I, I thank you for those who have came into this exchange zone strong, knowing that I was going to need their strength so I can take out, take off strong. Lord, let us be a light. Let us not cover that up. Lord, I thank you in your name. Amen. Now, as we are dismissed, find about three people. Tell them you're.